Welcome to the Jordan Eckes Sermon Podcast. We hope it brings you great encouragement. It's just seeing that there is a response of different postures that we have in Christ in light of the resurrection and what Jesus has done to, li- uh, to give us new life in him. And so how do we live, how do we live this new life in Christ? And, and Paul really lays out for us, this is a prison epistle, which means it's written while Paul was in prison. And I, what I love about the prison epistles is, is that, that what Paul starts communicating for us is, here's a person who is confined by the world, but he speaks of a greater freedom that's in Jesus. His most liberating and like life-giving books are ones that are written while he's in prison. And it's this message of hope for us, this message of that whatever's happening in our world, whatever's happening in our lives, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever suffering there might be, whatever difficulties that present themselves, there is life, there is hope, there is mercy, there is love, there is new life in Christ in light of that everything is under him. Everything is under Jesus Christ. And so as we look at today's text, as we dig in, let us begin with prayer. May our hearts turn towards Christ and the freedom we have in Him. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. A day to honor and glorify you and what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit that's alive in us. May it stir our hearts today. May we we repent and turn and confess and know, Lord, that we are saved and redeemed by you. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this day. May we walk in you and trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so today, um, I've been wrestling with, okay, how do I, how do I approach what I want to approach? And there's a word that I want to land on, but I don't want to land on there just yet. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that you never do for me, your attention for the whole time. I'm a jerk, I know. All right, so let's dig in. We're going to walk in and walk through some scriptures. We're going to kind of read some chunks. I'd encourage you to dig out your Bible and have, have a device out if you want, even if the battery dies. Uh, and, you know, follow along with me. That's my dig on Kevin. He can take it. And we're going to start, uh, I realized last week, we already kind of dug into some of these texts. Now, last week, we were talking about our posture that we have in Christ, and the posture that we have is that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and what he has done for us through the mighty works of Christ is he actually seats us with Christ. We are seated with him. So every posture that we get begins with trusting and knowing that we are seated with Jesus, that we are loved and accepted and have a place with God that we are resting in the arms of Christ and we are redeemed and saved through him. And so today, what is our sort of response to all of these things? And so I want to do kind of a slow build to hopefully draw out what our response is. And the first piece of the puzzle is to look at at for us what's going on in chapter, uh, chapter one and the opening sort of prayer and praise of Paul for God and what he's done. So if we look at verse one, chapter one, verse three, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul, right out of the gate, wants to encourage you that Christians have every blessing from Christ. You have life in him. And if we jump down a bit, kind of halfway into verse 8, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul will have a theme throughout his, uh, throughout his letters that everything is under Christ, that he is the Lord of all, that he is the King of all. And if you want to get, I believe, at the fundamental root of what we understand about who Jesus is and who we are in Christ, it is, I believe, that Jesus is Lord and King over everything and everyone. If you want to know a Christian perspective on the world, it's this. Jesus is king. He is the rescuer, savior, king over all of creation. And we live under his reign. And Paul will say this in a variety of different ways, but here in Ephesians it is to say that he is working to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus Christ. What is going on in the world? He wants all things and everything under Jesus. And you and me, when we do that, when we trust in Jesus and bring our lives under his reign, that is part of God bringing unity to all things under Jesus Christ. And so our opening response is to say, well, how do I do that? How do I bring my life under Jesus in all things and in all ways? And so I hope to land there in a moment. But when we start thinking about what should my response be and what posture do I hold in my life, how do I conduct myself? How do I live in this world and bring unity, bring unity to my family? How do I live under the reign of Christ and trust in him? And so I want you to kind of think about what are my responses to that? Do I have the proper sense of gratitude to Jesus today that I live under him and that he's rescued me and redeemed me from sin and death? And so what Paul then does, we'll jump ahead a little bit, Paul starts telling the story of how we've all arrived here, of how we have arrived today in the Etna Green Church of Christ, of how churches today have all gathered. Paul starts telling the story about this global mission to change the world and transform it and bring all things under Jesus. How is God going to reconcile those who are way outside of Israel, way outside of the promises of God, who are way outside of all the blessings that are there given to Abraham. You know, we are all a long ways off from Abraham in the desert receiving word that you're going to be a blessing to all nations. We're a long ways off from that. We are those who are far, not those who are near. And so Paul, I think, starts helping us see how we are made alive in Christ and how we have life in him. And so if you'd look uh, with me in chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now we'll rest right there for a moment. We do have a few minutes to kind of sit and linger in a couple of spots. And when we think about Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, 
we, uh, you know, probably haven't traversed there, and we're certainly, we're almost 2,000 years removed from their context. But Ephesus was in a very important city in which it had many polytheistic gods. There were many gods that were worshipped. And there was, uh, it was a, uh, a busy, flourishing city that had all sorts of culture to it. And there was no exclusivity to the worship of what, whatever god they would worship. It was kind of like, yeah, bring all your gods with you and let's worship all of them. It was not very selective or inclusive, unlike Christ. And so when we read things about the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, it would have been very real pressure for them sitting in, say, a small church gathering, realizing that all around them there would have been a lot of competing gods and a lot of evil going on around them and a lot of worshiping of other idols and money and so many things that there would be a very real sense of there is spiritual powers and spiritual darkness that are happening right in the midst of us today. And so Paul, he's addressing that issue, I think, head on and saying that you used to be a part of those things. And in fact, you can look out your window today and you can see the world in which you used to live, a world filled with idolatry and brokenness and sin and sacrifices to gods that you know are not real, that you know that are false gods, you know that are things that you left from your past, and you maybe once were a part of those things. But I have good news for you today, and what Paul says to them is is that you used to live in those ways. That that is a thing of the past for you. But we know that there are still those who are disobedient. Still those who are working in the ways of this world. And he says in verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. So we see God's message of his grace, of his comfort, of his mercy, calling us out of this dark age and into life in Christ. And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And so I I reiterate kind of where we started the last week. Because I think it's important to remember that our standing and our righteousness and our life and being made new in Christ is entirely the work of God and his work in us. And so in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It is God's work to show his incredible grace and his incredible kindness to us through his son Jesus And it is by his grace that we've been saved through faith. And it's not from ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, next week, when we talk about serving, when we talk about walking with God, this verse here, I think, is the foundation for it. From the very beginning, God has created us to do good. He has created us for good. He has created us for a life of righteousness and walking with God. I think that's what Paul is getting to here. 
Now, so knowing that we're seated with Christ, knowing that we've been rescued from our sins, knowing that we once lived a life filled with darkness and death and despair, Paul then, he, churn, he turns our hearts towards, how do I fit into this? How do I belong? And so in verse 11, it helps us get a sense of our belonging. How are we brought near to God? Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. If you would look at verse 12, I think he spends the rest of the way answering this sort of, these sorts of problems. And here's the problems. Let's look at it again. You are separate from Christ, excluded from Israel, and you are foreigners to God's promise. You are outside of God. You are outside of the promise. You are outside of his family. And he gives away the answer. But now in, now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so then he says, all right, that's the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is the blood of Christ. The answer is that Jesus has made a way for you to now belong. And instead of, you know, eight chapters in the book of Romans, we get a nice little succinct couple of, uh, of passages, very succinct. And I think that it's the, you know, the Cliff Notes version of Romans as we get into this. For he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So he's talking about Jew and Gentile relationships. He's talking about Israel and the promise given to Israel now being extended to people that it never once before was available to and you're thinking, okay, I didn't grow up thinking myself as a Gentile and a Jew. I don't think in those terms. I'm, I'm American or I'm, I'm uh, from, you know, my family's heritage comes from this country. Or we think about where we're from. We think about our last names. We think about our story and our parents' story. And that's how we identify ourselves. Well, in the ancient world for Israel, it was either you're an Israelite or you weren't. You either had the promise of God or you had no hope of that. You either knew the truth, you either knew righteousness, you either knew the law of God or you didn't. You either were circumcised or you were not. You either belonged to the promise or you didn't. And we maybe don't get a sense of that in today's world, but there is a sense of do I belong and do I have a place with God and how do I fit into what God's doing in this world? And so Paul starts answering that for us, and he says this dividing wall of hostility, and there's still dividing walls of hostility that are present in today's world that make people feel like they don't fit in here, that they haven't come from the right story, and that they don't have enough, that they can't be good enough, that they don't do the right things, that they don't know the right things. And there is certainly still a dividing wall of hostility in the world that makes people feel like they're on the outside of God and they could never be brought near. And the power of this gospel is to say to you that if Gentiles can belong to God's family, then anyone can belong to God's family. That the power of God working through the blood of Jesus Christ can redeem and save anyone. 
And the church needs to restore the belief in the power of the good news to conquer sin and to conquer death and for the blood of Jesus to renew people. Do you hear me? And so Jesus, in verse 15, we learn more about him. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose, Jesus' purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and he preached peace to those who are near. And for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus came preaching peace. He said, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, my comfort, my grace, my spirit is with you. And I hope that Christians today would still hear of the power of God's gospel of peace to reconcile people back to him who feel like they don't have a place. Are there people today who don't feel like they have a place in the kingdom of God? Who have very little peace and have all sorts of hostility? Do we believe in the power of God's word to reconcile them back to him? That's what I think Paul's trying to draw for us out of all of this, that we have access to God through one spirit. And so it's a slow build here, and just we'll just keep going, okay? Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but let's think back to what he says in verse 12, that you are excluded, you are separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants, and you were without God in the world. And what does he start building for us here? You're no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. You are also members of his household. You're built on the foundation of Christ, the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to be a dwelling in which the Spirit which God lives by his spirit. And so Paul's saying, and he's building, he's saying, guess what, guys? You belong. You're being brought near. You belong to the family of God. You were excluded. You didn't have any part of the promise. You didn't have any part of a relationship with God. You are distant foreigners filled with hostility. You once were lost, but now you're saved. This is you but now you are near. And so then Paul will jump down. Chapter 3, verse 7. I'm sorry, I need to do 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, he answers the verse 12 right here succinctly. The mystery is, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are what? Heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Do you see how he answers the problem of verse 12? And he says to us there, that we belong to the promise of God. We belong to the family and story of the Israelites and we belong now to the promise in Christ Jesus. 
And what is that promise? But that you are the children of God, that you are unified under the Lord Jesus Christ as all things are being brought under him. I became a servant of this gospel, in verse 7, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for uh, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in, heaven, in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. What I want you to hear from Paul is that he makes it his life's purpose and aim to proclaim this mystery. How do the Gentiles now belong? How do the uh, Israelites now extend to, uh, to the Gentiles? How does God's promise work out? How do I fit into this world? Paul's life mission is to proclaim you have life in Christ. And he says to each and every one of us, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I want you to know today, if you tuned out and you said, Jordan, you asked me to pay attention to this whole time, and I, I admit I tuned out for a minute, would you come back and hear this verse for me, please? In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence to approach God, the creator of heaven and earth. And this freedom and confidence is for the Israelite and the Gentile. When we study the book of Leviticus, we will understand very clearly that there is a lot that goes into approaching God. That not just anybody gets to go and approach God and say, hey, here's what's on my mind. You all, you guys love your freedom and your confidence. You go on to Twitter, you go on to Facebook, you go on to Google reviews, and you say, this is what I think of your business. I was slighted two fries the other day at Burger King, and let me tell you about it. You have freedom and confidence to express your opinion on anything and everything. You have lived your lives with freedom and confidence to have an opinion. But in the ancient world, there was very little freedom and very little confidence in approaching God and saying, I can take my grievances to God. So much sacrifice and so much work would be prepared in advance so that they might have a moment in the presence of God. We've been inundated with freedom and confidence. And I want to turn the page for you just slightly and realize today that you can have freedom and confidence in approaching God because you now are heirs in God's family 
You now belong to the promise of God. You are now new in Christ Jesus. And because you are in him and because you're being built together in to make a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, his spirit is in you. And so he's saying, Paul is saying to you, that you can have confidence to go before God and go to him in prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray, and we know the Lord's Prayer. We've shared it together. You've read it. You've said it over and over again. And we know, we know the words that Jesus has given us to pray, but he's also given us a way to pray. He says, you could be like the hypocrites. And the hypocrites, they go and pray, and they make sure that they babble on and on to kind of show off and show their relationship with God and the depth of their relationship with God. And they keep babbling on and on and on, and they do it so everyone can see. But here's how I want you to pray. This is how I want you to pray, and this is, this is the way forward. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray in a way that nobody knows about it. I want your righteousness not, I don't want people to think your righteousness for how deep your prayers are. I want people to not pay any attention to that. I want, I want time with you. And so what I want you to do, Jesus says, is I want you to go into your closet and I want you to close the door and I want you to talk to our Father. And I want you to be on scene and I want you to spend time with the one who's on scene because I want it all about that relationship. And not what about people think about you, not what any of those things. I want it about you and him. When's the last time you've prayed that way? When's the last time that you prayed so that nobody knew that you were praying, but that it was just between you and him? When I think about this, I think about what Paul says then for our posture. We're seated with Christ. And Paul tells us how you are now heirs according to the promise given to Christ Jesus. He says to you, you have freedom and confidence to approach God. And he says in verse 14, for this reason, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul's response to freedom and confidence is to fall on his knees before his Father in heaven. If you're wondering, what does my response need to be to the gospel of Jesus? If you're wondering, what does it mean for me to live my life and know that I'm seated with Christ and I belong to him and I'm an heir according to his promise, what is my response? May it be a response of gratitude and prayer expressed through literal and figurative kneeling before our Father. May it be of thanksgiving, an expression of gratitude. The posture of kneeling, let's see if I can still even do it. The old knees, they creak all the way down. You guys roll your eyes at me saying I'm old, but I feel old, so does that count? This is not a posture of fighting. This is not a posture in which I have much balance or standing. It is a posture of humility. It is a posture of saying, God, all I have, I lay before you. I come before you saved through grace. It is a gift from you, and my life is in you. When's the last time you kneeled before your father to thank him for the life he's given you in Christ? 
would you make it the prayer of your life to kneel before the Father and pray what Paul prays? I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that, has, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you would like to, not as a show of righteousness, but if you would like to kneel with me in prayer, may we pray. Heavenly Father, we kneel before you physically and metaphorically. We humble our hearts before you. Lord, we are redeemed and saved through the mighty power of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that we might know you, that we might know of your love, that we might know of your grace working in us in our lives. God, we humbly lay our allegiance. We humbly lay our possessions. We humbly lay everything, our soul, our very being before you. That we may know you, that we may know of your promise in the life we live under the reign of Jesus Christ. Would you go with us? Would you guide us? Would you truly show us, Lord, your truth, that this really is a people in whom you've made your dwelling and your spirit resides? We want to be your kingdom servants in this world. We give you our heart and our lives now. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, would you have a posture of a kneeling heart and a kneeling life today? Knowing that you are seated with him and the response to the mighty and powerful, incredible work of God and his faithfulness in our lives is to have a posture of humility and openness for God to work in you and through you. God bless you and guide you. May he lead us to new life. May he use you this week for his glory and his honor. Would you bow your hearts to God today and give your life to the Father of heaven? Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to the Jordan Eckes Sermon Podcast. We hope it brought you great encouragement. Until next time, God be with you.